Welcome to the WeGo Places podcast. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001. And you just heard intro music from Max Russo, class of 2020. Today's guest is Ashley Bannon, class of 2013. Ashley is an SAP software trainer currently living in Germany. Today's guest is Ashley Bannon, class of 2013. Ashley, what is it that you do? Well, I work at a startup software company here in Germany um, where I'm focusing on the customer portion of our company where we design um, software classes for people who buy and use SAP uh, software because we want to protect and secure these systems. Um, Essentially, it's a lot of software work, but in the background, I make sure the people uh, are taken care of and they know what to do. Cool. I'll ask some more uh, SAP questions uh, mm-hmm. a little bit later, but I think uh, everyone wants to know, how does a West Chicago graduate find herself uh, in Germany? Uh, what was that? What's your, what was your journey to get there? Well, it, it started off really um, trying to find the college I wanted to go to. This was the biggest part of how I ended up here, actually. Um, I wanted to find a school that was far enough away that no one could just pop by randomly, but also close enough so I could go home if I needed to. Um, so I, I went to Butler University in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I majored in international business and marketing. Um, at the time I graduated high school, I took three years of French um, and one year of German. And in college, I decided to take French again. Uh, and in Butler University, they really pushed for uh, their business students to go abroad. So I really wanted to go to France, work on my French. I was nearly fluent. Um, and unfortunately, I was a sophomore, or I was a freshman looking into it, and I was going to be a sophomore when I studied. So they, uh, all the spots in the French program went to the upperclassmen. I ended up having uh, to decide if I wanted to still keep my application for France or choose a different place. And a professor of mine, he, he, con- he convinced me. He's like, well, you should, you should go to Germany. It's a beautiful place. There's this little town called Heidelberg. It's in the south of Germany. Extremely beautiful, wasn't touched during the wars, and the history is phenomenal. And it's a student town, so you get along really well. So I, not knowing very much German other than the point to say hello and how to kind of ask where the bathroom is, um, I decided to take the leap and go to Germany. And that was in 2015 in the spring semester, so from January to May. I was my first semester in Germany, and I absolutely fell in love. So uh, then you you had a successful, I guess, study abroad while you were there, and then you come back. Then how did you then make the decision to kind of leap again and make Germany your your residence and your uh, your future uh, kind of uh, career? Well, after after the study abroad, I I had quite the desire. I, I knew no matter what I was going to do, I was going to live in Germany. And as actually to the point where when I got home, the very first day I got home from my study abroad and I saw my family, there's a huge 
surprise party for me. And everyone asked me, well, what are you going to do? And I told everyone I'm going to live in Germany. They kind of laughed at that then, but you know, no one's really laughing now. So it was, it was really funny because I, I was, had the desire to do it and I did not stop talking about it. I told everyone. I told people at Starbucks. I told people on campus. I told people when I was back in Chicago visiting friends. I just kept talking and I said, I am looking for an internship. I want to get back there. How do I get back to Germany? Do you know anyone? And I, I, I seriously did not stop talking for about two years. So I was a junior in college. Um, I was working with international students, and then um, the same professor who convinced me to go to Heidelberg in the first place connected me to a guy who actually is my boss now. Um, he he works for a company in Heidelberg, and he also went to the same school that my professor teaches at uh, during the summers. So I asked if you know if there was an internship possible, and they said yes, and I. You know, and then in uh, the January of 2017, I flew back over to Germany for four months, did my internship to see if I could actually work and live in Germany, and that's where I got my answer. And I, I came back, I graduated, and three months later, I bought a one-way ticket and flew back here. It was a... Uh, that was the, essentially the, the working part of me getting over there. It, there was so much more in between of having to shuffle around my classes and, and courses in college. I ended up taking about 20, 22 credit hours and working 30 hours my last um, semester at in the United States. Um, so I really worked for it. <laughs> You know, it sounds like it. So once you make it to Germany and you've in, and you're living there, um, it's not as if you had any type of like culture shock because you had already spent so much time there. Um, what were some of the things that made you fall in love with um, with Germany and that you, that made you want this to be um, you know, where you wanted to live in terms of like culture, career? What was what was the the fusion of all that? The uh, surprisingly, the culture shock came afterwards, after I moved here, because um, it, it, it's kind of hard to to really understand it, because the German culture is so similar to the American culture in, in many aspects, but then it's the slight differences that kind of that kind of nag on you. But what I really fell in love with was just the people, first of all, I know a lot of people in the States are kind of shocked. They're like, oh, you know, Germans don't have humor. They're, you can't talk to them. Um, but honestly, they have a very, very dry sense of humor. And it's, it's a lot of fun, especially when you start speaking the language a bit more fluently. You start to pick up on a little thing. Um, and I love the lifestyle. The Germans are very much work hard, play hard. So it's um, to the point where, you know, you're working, uh, you get your job done. But once the job is done, once you hit that time, you go home and they say, you know, put your stuff down, close the laptop, don't look at emails, you're like, you're off, you have your free time, do with it what you want. And in here in Heidelberg, um, there's a river going through called the Neckar, and there's this little grassy area right by it. And during the summer, everyone just 
goes out there, they grill, they relax, they play games, pick up games of soccer, and it, it's just it's an amazing amount of fun. And everyone here is tends to be extremely active. You have, of course, you're all your soccer clubs to go to, but there's also biking and hiking and swimming and gymnastics and everything also geared towards adults. So it's not like once you're out of school, you know, good luck finding a league. There's everything for everyone here. And I, and believe it or not, I also do really like the food. The food is actually very tasty. It's not only meat and potatoes. I'm wondering, like, just from a cultural standpoint, this is my curiosity coming through. How do you think that they're able to kind of cultivate a sense of community that you were describing there better than maybe what is in the United States? As in terms, because it seems like is it is it because it is a smaller town, or what are some of the ways in which they are able to kind of create that space of community and cultivate community? seemingly better than what you might find in a, a typical American suburb. It seems to be the distinction that you were drawing out there. Yeah, it's, um, first of all, everyone here walks everywhere or they bike somewhere. So it's, it's a lot easier to, to run into someone on the street that you've seen before. Um, so that's definitely one of them. And another thing is, is that um, I would describe Germans and the German culture as um, a coconut culture. And I believe my friend was talking to me about this in college. And a coconut culture means that it's really hard on the outside. It takes some effort to break into it. But once you break into it, you know, then, you know, the coconut on the inside is nice and soft. It's really easy. So that's kind of a great way to explain Germans. It takes a lot of effort to get to know them. So that's where there's a bit of a culture shock there. That it takes, you know, you have to schedule everything. You you text a friend, hey, do you want to grab coffee? And he's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm kind of busy today. Are you free next Tuesday? <laughs> so, um, but this, once you get past this, this, um, this kind of harder shell, it's just really, really easy to um, do things with them. And, and then you get kind of brought into all these different places. Like you, you have a friend for life. And you just feel this because, you know, whatever a German thinks, whatever emotion is going on, you like, you see it directly on their faces. It's generally speaking, you know, it's pretty neutral if they're walking around, but when they're happy, they're really happy and they, they like to share that with others. So in, in the terms of like my neighborhood where I grew up in, you know, everyone was just kind of inside, you know, playing playing video games, and if you already didn't know them, it was kind of hard to get to know them. And, um, I mean, I, I love video games. There's a there's a time and place for everything, but nothing kind of beats with going out and on the grass. And, you know, what I can do is if I see people throwing a frisbee around, I can go up to them and just say, hey, like, can I join you guys? And it might take a little bit, you know, but at the end of the day, like, I can really get to know them, and then they truly are interested in me and what I'm doing and they don't just ask how I'm doing because that's how you say hi if they ask you how are you what are you doing what you know how was your day they're truly invested and they're truly interested where in the states you know you walk past someone you say oh how are you and you respond yeah how is it you know how's it and then you walk on by 
But in Germany, um, if you say, how are you, they're, they're in for the long run. They're, they're ready to hear how you are. Now, how, how big is the town that you live in? Um, ooh. I believe, well, I live actually north of Heidelberg in this town called Schriesheim. It's really, really cute. I believe there are about uh, 15,000 living in this area, okay. like in the town. It's a, it's a wide area, but a lot of forest and a lot of, a lot of grass. Hmm. Now, if, if I, I'm interested in, in to know that you said earlier on that you were actually nearly fluent in French. And then now, would you say that you're like a polyglot that you know that you're able to speak obviously English and your, your French, I'm sure is still pretty secure. Um, how long was it, did it take for you to maybe become fluent in German? I mean, did that happen during your interning uh, abroad or, and, and, or, and what are you still working on in terms of like just those type of cultural assimilation elements? Yeah, well, actually, um, my French kind of took a backseat. Um, it's hiding somewhere in there. I still dream in French, but every time I try to speak it, German comes out. So um, that's on my, on my list to uh, refresh my memory. Um, actually, I learned German mostly by myself. So, um, you know, I, I took the class in, with, uh, you know, at WeGo with Frau uh, V. And then... Um, like I said, in college, I didn't take any German classes, but instead I took the two years between my study abroad and my um, internship. And I did Duolingo and this other app called Memrise. And that gave me kind of more of a, of a basis. Um, Memrise was one that I liked more because it was more flashcards. And so that kind of stuck more in my head. So when I came back for the internship, um, I really surrounded myself with German like and I and when I could I refused to speak English um, because I thought you know this is where I want to live this is where I want to stay I better speak this language and um, it got to the point in early 2017 where I could kind of follow the rhythm of a conversation you know I could tell that they were talking about the weather but about what exactly I couldn't say, were they running, were they driving? Not sure, but I could tell when the conversation uh, switched. Um, and then actually when I moved here, um, I didn't have a job lined up. I, as an American, we can be in Europe, in the EU land um, for about 90 days without having to apply for a formal visa. So I had 90 days to find a job, and I found a job. What I thought was just being a secretary for a tax company in a small tax company in Heidelberg, um, and it turns out that they wanted me to do the taxes, to do the bookkeeping. And um, in Germany, they have they're very big on um, trade schools. So not everyone goes to college. You have to really study for that. It's called an abitur. Um, and that's two years extra on top of the normal, quote unquote, high school years. Um, so after the normal high school years, you can either go to do the other two years to do your abitur and then go to college, or you go to one of these trade schools. 
So I was in the trade schools for tax consultancy and bookkeeping. And uh, they didn't speak English. <laughs> so I kind of was forced into it. I, I didn't understand when someone would say one word or the other. It was all just squished together. So I ended up, um, for the first ugh, three months of that, I wrote everything on the board down. I wrote it down in pencil in my notebook and exactly how it was written. And then afterwards, I'd go to a cafe. I would translate everything into a different notebook. And then I'd go over my notes again with a pen so I could learn the German words. And it was very, very time-consuming. And it was very stressful. But at after a couple of months, you know, after headaches and whatever, my brain just finally you know, switch flipped on and I could understand things a lot more easier. Um, and I ended up doing that, that traineeship for about 10 months before I switched and found a job in Frankfurt. So essentially I forced myself into every situation until my brain could finally understand German. So, so you take this job in, in Frankfurt and then how do you then fall into the, uh, this really cool job of what you're doing with the startup? The, the job in Frankfurt ended up, um, it was just kind of a way for me to get out of the, 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 the traineeship because they, they pay as a traineeship. So it, it didn't really cover many of my debts. And I ended up actually uh, working two jobs. I, on top of that job, I was a waitress at one of the the, the the restaurants in town and then I also babysat which was also kind of stressful because the kids would correct my German which was good um, so the the job in Frankfurt was just kind of like a, a bridge for me to to get more on my feet and find a different job and that was also software that was a, a, a product where it was like a spell check for code where it could kind of tell you know if not only if you wrote something wrong, but also if the design and the structure of your code um, would cause issues is kind of the, the long and short of it. Um, and then the same boss that I had as an intern then called me up one day and he invited me to one of the soccer matches in Frankfurt and and then he pitched me his, his business idea, and I was all in. And that's how I went from working for a year and a half at the, at the place in Frankfurt, where I, you know, learned more German, learned more about my personal skills, and, and grew as a person, not only personally, but also as a businesswoman. Um, and I was able to constantly talk to my old and now new boss, um, what I wanted, what I expected, and how I could help the company grow. Now, if we can come back to what you're doing at your job, and I, I may have forgotten if you had mentioned this at the very beginning, but it was it's really interesting the type of work that you're doing in that, how you're kind of guiding coders and people in this kind of SAP software. I was wondering if you can kind of describe again, like the, the endeavor and the, uh, of what it is that you're doing uh, at, at, the, the, at the startup and how that is able to kind of t 
teach people how to work in these spaces um, uh, of software? Yeah. So, so as a as a background of SAP, it's you know the the American version is Oracle. I'm pretty sure. Um, but so SAP is a software company that does everything. They do. They're in medical systems. They're in banking. They're in finances. They're in schools. They're in just normal business. They're in consumer sciences. They do everything from the very intricate of you know data mapping in you know in the hospital to the simple apps that show you which hiking path you want to take. So they are everywhere. And the thing is, and so there's all uh, many different coding languages you can create your own if you really want to. And so that's what they kind of did. It's, it's called ABAP soft, or code. And this is a very, very long form of code that's long for a reason. It's because they can really fine-tune the different things that they want. But because it takes thousands of lines to do quote-unquote simple things, it's really easy for people um, to create backdoors, to create things. So um, if, if I'm a developer and I'm writing code for this other company who's hired me to do this, you know, I could put something in the back end of the code, and then when they put it in their system, I could easily just you know, walk in there and uh, take all the CEO's money if I really want to. So the thing is with SAP, since it's such a massive space, no one really knows how to properly secure it. So you know, the same person who's looking at how to secure their software for, for their hospital and this is the same person who's looking how to secure their information in their, you know, in their walking app. So each person has a different level of security that they need. And there are so many products out there and no one really actually knows about how to secure it. So there's, if I were to Google right now, SAP security software, you know, there's a, there's a hundred of different companies who are all offering something relatively similar. So if I'm, if I'm the normal CEO, you know, I'm, I'm being told by the auditors, I need to protect my system. I'm just going to go buy whatever software out there just so I can get this check mark to say, hey, look, I bought something, it's secure, and maybe I don't even use it. You know, I'm just trying to cover up to make it seem like I'm doing it. Or maybe I do buy something, I do use it, but it's not being used fully. I'm, I'm protecting one thing when I should really be protecting the other. So what my company is doing is we're, we're bringing the human portion back into software security, meaning there's, there's people who are secu security developers. There's middle management, and then there's the high C-level. And they all speak a different language, what my boss likes to call Saponese, you know. So it's... You know, you have no one really knows. They only know this little bit about it, or they know that little bit. Maybe they taught how taught themselves about SAP security through YouTube videos. You know, that's not really that doesn't really that's help. <laughs> no. Um, so, you know, we say hope is not a strategy. And this, yeah, I like that. Yeah. So, so hope you can't just buy something and hope and pray that no one breaks into your house. 
So what we do is that we, we have like a choose your own adventure kind of setup where we, we have classroom trainings. We have, you know, we're building an online platform so that people around the world can have a, a standard because in the, in the U.S., there's a certain standard. In Germany, there's a different standard. In Australia, there's a different standard. Everyone's on something different. And we want to be the people who say, like, okay, we're going to help you figure out what you need protected to what degree you need it protected, you know, because the people in the hospital need a higher degree than the people, you know, with the walking out. So we are trying to connect the people so that the, the security people on the ground floor can talk to the sea level and they all understand the same language so that way the software is actually protected and you know we're not actually selling a, a you know it's not software as a service product we are the product it's it's people because you know you can have all the technology in the world but if you know if you have a smart home but you still forgot to lock the door like you know how good is that smart home really if the person is the the main factor for the failure so we're trying to really connect it and we want to have a platform where all the different you know sap software security um, companies can present their their products and we can have a nice rating system so that anyone can look at it and say ah yes okay i need intense protection in this area, this is the product for me. I was wondering if you could leave some advice for current Wildcats for success. Yeah, I. the first thing is, is you don't have to know what you're going to do for the rest of your life. I still, even when I moved here, you know, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just knew where I wanted to be. And my, my biggest thing is... Um, if you want something, if you really want something, you have to work for it. You can't, you know, you can't expect anyone to, to give you handouts or anything. You know, I feel very, very blessed and very privileged that I was able to study at the school that I went to, um, that I did have a really great support group because the first, you know, I, I can sit here right now and talk about how, how happy I am. You know, every weekend I hang out with my friends. I go sit at a cafe and people watch or I go biking in the, in the uh, vineyard. But it wasn't always like that. It was, it was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of sleepless nights and it was a lot of fighting sicknesses just to, to make sure I could solidify my place here. Um, not to sound pessimistic or anything, but the thing is, is if you want something, if it's your dream, if it's your goal, you will work for it and you will put all your effort into it. And so I, I tell everyone um, that, you know, surround yourself with a good support group because that's what really helped me. Surround yourself with people who want to do things and want to go far because you will take on the habits of the people you're around. If you're around people who are always striving to be better, to, to be smarter, to learn things, to do things. You will be inspired by them too. You'll, you know, if you'll get off your butt and be like, well, you know, all my friends right now are, you know, they're doing a marathon. You know, I think I should hit the gym too. It's just as a, as a small example. Um, it's, it's really, if you surround yourself with people who don't want to do anything, 
you know, you also might not get too far. And so surround yourself with the right group and understand that hard work, even though it might not always pay off in the short end, will work out in the long run if you make, if you figure out your end goal, know your, know your goal at the very end and create your own path. That was perfect. That was great advice. Ah, too good. Ashley, thank you so much for your time today. This was a great conversation. I think uh, people are going to learn so much about uh, um, about Germany and just a, just a, what an inspirational story of how you got there. So thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. I was happy we could uh, we can chat about it. I always love telling the story. Thanks for listening. If you want to find past episodes, go to Apple Music podcasts and search we go vox